This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. We start with a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for um, just the various ways that you communicate to us, and I look forward to working through this letter from James. Um, Lord, I know at times it seems a little bit disconnected, and at times it, it may even seem like it addresses 10 topics in, in one section, and yet we know that James was writing to an individual people who were struggling, and his, his desire, his goal, his heart behind this letter was to encourage them, to exhort them, to, to really to give them a place to land uh, in your word. So Lord, I pray as we start this book, as we attempt to take seriously what you've said, Lord, I pray that you would soften our hearts, that we would be able to hear uh, the same encouragement from you. And that, Lord, at the end of the day, we would have more steadfastness. We'd have more hope. We'd have more joy because we stand more firmly in you. Help us with that, Lord. In your name I pray. Amen. So we decided to uh, title this series, Somewhere to Land. And there was a really funny text thread about how scary should we put the, <laughs> the airplane. We're like, well, we don't want... <laughs> so there's some, there's some funny recommendations. So you can ask Eric or Ben if you're, you're looking at that. Um, but there, yeah, there's a... There's a when, we, when we title a series, we're, we are trying to get like the thread of what's going through the book. And we are trying to like communicate a little bit... Um, something that's a little bit memorable that kind of rings with you when you, when you come to this letter. Uh, and I think that if you, I mean, just look at verse one of James. He says, uh, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. To the 12 tribes in the dispersion. And we can say, okay, well, what is, what is the dispersion? <laughs> um, what does that mean? And it's interesting if you read uh, history of commentaries. There, there is um, almost some question around what that is. Like, like that we definitely know that there were Jewish people in different cities and at different times that were forced to leave their home. So it seems like when James is saying to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, it sounds like he's communicating to a group of Jewish people that have been displaced from their home. But the Bible also uses that word, in a sense, to communicate this idea that this world, this reality, isn't our ultimate home. There's a more generic sense where it's like every Christian uh, who has been united to Christ has been dispersed amongst the nations and are sort of living, in a sense, in in hostile territory. As we wrestle with, as we desi- as we desire to honor and glorify God, as we want to live in light of His Word, there there are sort of factors in our own lives, in every Christian's life, that are pushing against that. Like the world doesn't just like fit everything God is saying, and there's no conflict there. Like there is a measure of conflict, whether that's internally as we wrestle with things we know and things that God has said, or conflict that comes externally. Um, in our communities or in laws or things like that. And so, so, there's, so there's this question, what commentators are asking this question, what does it mean, the dispersion? Like, what is he talking about when he says the, the 12 tribes uh, that are in the dispersion? Another question is, which James is this? So there's a handful of James in, in the Bible. There's a handful of James that we're aware of. And, and it's, you could even ask the question, is this a James that we're not aware of? Uh, we're, we're just sort of wrestling with this idea of like, uh, how do we know who is the person that wrote this letter? And, and there's some, there, there's essentially a debate between James, the brother of Jesus, and James, the apostle. Um, but if you know James, the apostle, in the book of Acts, he is the first martyr. So he dies very quickly. So there's, there's, so there's, so the question then is, well, if the apostle wrote this letter, this letter would have had to been written like right off the bat. And if he's talking to sort of like a church or something that's been established, it'd be really hard for that to be the case because it, that, that wouldn't have happened yet sort of in the history uh, of um, uh, the history of the church as it, it sort of began. So, there, so there's a few questions at the very beginning of the book. And I think the, it seems like the consensus is, and we can't know this for certain, but I think it helps add a little bit of context for, for what's going on in the letter. It seems like the consensus is that this is James, 
The same James that's in Acts when he's talking to Peter at the, at the Jerusalem council. So this, so this is James who is a leader in the Jewish church in Jerusalem, which is probably the brother of Jesus, the half-brother, right? Um, the brother of Jesus is probably James, the brother of Jesus, writing to Jewish people who have been sort of kicked out of Jerusalem for one reason or another. They've, had, they've been uprooted from their homes and they've been sent to other countries. So that's sort of the consensus. And I, uh, there's, a, there's a few verses in Acts. Uh, and I, I have it for your screen. I just want to show you. Acts, start with 11. So you got 18 first. Or 11, okay, 11 first. 11, 19. It says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. To those who are scattered because of the persecution. There's this idea that even early on in the church, there was persecution that was happening. And the Jewish people who were come at the beginning of Acts, who were coming to faith in Jesus in droves, like thousands, were hearing what Paul or Peter had to say and were being converted, and the church was being born. Some of them were scattered because of the persecution. And then uh, Acts 18, verse 2. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, recently came from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. It's just another circumstance where there's sort of cultural conflict with the Jewish people, the Christians, uh, and some, you know, the government isn't discerning in the same thing as in history, right? It's like Jew, Christian, whatever, like you're the group causing the problem, we're gonna get you out, you know? So there are people kind of caught up in that regardless of their particular stance around Jesus and the, and the Messiah. I, this is one of those verses that is just sort of like a side note and as you're reading through Acts, you could kind of just pass over it. But I want you to stop and think for a second what in the world that might've felt like to just be uprooted forcefully by the government at the time because you're associated with a group and then basically bust somewhere else to start a new life with people that don't speak the same language as you. They didn't get warning typically about this either. As, as conflict is rising up, there's a culture that's seeing another, the ruling culture, and seeing the conflict is there. And not to mention that if, if you're a Jewish Christian, you're, you have the Holy Spirit, you're seeing things in the Old Testament that, you, that are relating to Jesus and the Messiah in ways that you would have like never understood before. So you're questioning even like what's going on with the temple, what's going on with with the things I've grown up practicing for my entire life that in, in a new and exciting way have pointed me to Jesus and who he is and the fact that he's our Lord and Savior. So there's, there's like all of these like understandings and, and things you're thinking about that are just like opening your eyes to stuff that's completely new. And in the middle of all of that, because of the conflict that's going on, you get ripped out of your home ripped out of your job, often separated from people that you love, your broader extended family, and you get shipped off somewhere with no regard for your health or safety to go settle in a whole nother place. I, that to me just seems like craziness. Like, I, I'm like, can I bring my phone? You know, like, <laughs> do I have time to pass? You know, like, I want to Google some nice spots where I want to work remote and end up there. You know, like <laughs> Like I, just, I don't even have like a category for being torn from everything I know and ending up somewhere else because of who I associate with, like forcefully. And so it seems like James, who cares for the Jewish people in his church, who got ripped out of their house and home, sees that happening. You have... He has to feel for these people. Like these are the people he has been shepherding. These are the people that he has been caring for. These are the people that he has got to know who has eaten with them, who, who his kids and their family probably were friends with their kids and their family. And these people just got ripped away from him. He decides to write a letter to encourage them. 
to me, it almost makes sense why the book of James is just like, bam, 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 thing, 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 thing. Because it's like, that had to be like chaos. That had to be like, like, what do you even, how do you even like make sense of all of that? And he's like, and, and he's like, I don't have time to write you like a whole, you know, exposition on all of these things that are going on. I don't even know if you're gonna survive where you're at much less know how to interact with the culture there or whatever. I just, I need to communicate like the most important truths to you as quickly as possible because you're just in a situation where things are volatile. And I, I like the idea of, of somewhere to land. I like the idea of somewhere to land for this series because so much of our life is like, like it's hard to relate to all of that situation because so much of our life is a kind of predictable, you know? Like even if it's lame, it's sort of predictably lame. And when you're in an airplane and you're flying up in the air and all of a sudden you deal with some turbulence, man, that is like the best thing to encourage my prayer life, just personally. <laughs> Like, I am the closest to God with the most turbulence in an airplane. It's just like, all of a sudden, you're like, I'm 40,000 feet in the air, shaking around in a box. <laughs> Would love to get my feet on the ground right now. <laughs> you know, and I think we all kind of, you know, deal with it a little differently. Like, Bridget's like, Bridget downloads, like, interesting Netflix shows so she can just, like, <laughs> oh, it's coming into Denver is, like, a kind of sketchy place to land because there's always a little bit of turbulence. And so like being able to just focus on that. I'm like confessing all my sin, you know, I don't like reminding myself that my faith is rooted in Jesus's accomplishment and not my own. So, but you're, you feel some of that turbulence and it's just one of those times where you're like mortality and your, your ability to affect the outcome of anything that's gonna happen is zero. Like it's an uncomfortable place to be statistically, you're fine. You know what I mean? We can say all those things and I think that makes me feel better knowing that this happens all the time. But it's just, just getting shaken in the air like that is the, the moment where you're just like, I don't have anything to do with what's gonna happen. <laughs> I feel very uncertain and I am gonna be very thankful in all of that turbulence when you finally have somewhere to land. <laughs> just like, you know, makes that sound, and you're just like, you just like kind of just feel a little better. <laughs> and I think that's what James is trying to do. I think he's really just shotgunning almost these different truths and things to these people who are dealing with a ridiculous time in their life where he isn't going to be able to, to tell them how to grow the church necessarily. He isn't gonna be able to tell them how to establish themselves in this new place. He isn't gonna send them lessons on like the best way to integrate into a culture. He's like, you guys have turbulence and there's really nothing you can do. I need to point you to God and his word like as, as, as urgently and as practically as possible so that you guys can have somewhere to land so that you can have a measure of peace. And so that's gonna be kind of, I hope that helps a little bit um, to just see the context of the letter and to understand James' heart as he writes this to people who are just dealing with something that's just chaos. And, and you might be saying, okay, well, my life isn't like that. <laughs> you know, like the turbulence example, even if it rings true to you, it's like we don't have that feeling very often in our lives. That's why it's, for me, that's why it's so unique when I'm in a plane. I'm like, ah. <laughs> that's just not our day-to-day -day experience. And I'm, I'm thankful for that. Like, I'm really glad that none of you are getting forcefully removed from your homes and settling in another country somewhere. That's awesome. And I hope that that's never the case. Some people, I think, as they reflect on their lives, might just be thinking, that's all I know is turbulence. Like, it seems like I'm never settling in somewhere. It just seems like it's a little chaotic all the time, and I don't know if I have anything to hold on to or any way to affect that. But I think regardless of 
being in that season or not being in that season, the things that James has to say, I hope, our hope, my prayer for us to learn is that you and I would be prepared. You and I would see some of the good things that he's communicating, even if they're kind of hard things, and say, look, this is how I prepare my own self. This is how I deal with the turbulence that's coming in my life so that I could honor God and glorify him, whether I'm shaking in a plane in the middle of the air or I just am showing up to work and not sure how that day is gonna go. We can learn from this now, especially if we're not in a season where things are a little chaotic. We can learn from this now so that when we have to deal with something that's really difficult, we already know the way and we have somewhere to land. So this morning, we're gonna focus on three fairly quick things that James kind of starts with. One of the kind of fun, I feel like the letter of James is like pastor outlined nightmare sauce, you know, like, cause it's just like this topic, this topic, this topic. And when you're putting an outline together, you're, you're like, well, you're like doing the twister game. Like how do these things connect? You know, like how can I like string this together in a way that is sort of makes a little bit of sense uh, with the flow of the letter in a way that's that's genuinely there, and there's a, a every commentator has like a different way to approach outlining the book, and some of the commentators are just like maybe it wasn't meant to be outlined, <laughs> like this is just how he's communicating. We should we should take him at face value and say these are the things he's communicating. This is the order he's communicating it in, and the, we may not know in his head why these things are sort of threaded together. So, so there's sort of like this battle between like, let's just take what James is saying at face value, but also uh, he, he's an intelligent guy. He's writing to a group of people he cares about. He has a line of thought. We're trying to follow that line of thought. And I think this section that we're, we're talking about kind of starts and ends with the reality of who God is. Like it starts with this thing where we should go to God if we need wisdom. Like he's the source of all those things. And it ends, this section ends with the idea that God is unchanging. Like he is the stability that we need. So I think this section is sort of emphasizing a handful of things to help give us a little bit of peace, uh, give us a little bit, uh, give us a place to land when we, we think about the turbulence. And so we're gonna look at God's wisdom we're gonna look at God's kingdom and God's character. So it would make sense to me then, especially if James is trying to help people that are in this chaotic time that he would sort of focus on and begin with the reality of God. And next week, we're gonna talk about God's word because that's a huge theme that kind of goes through the next section of James. But when, look, at, look at verse two. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Um, there, there's a, I have a very like personal example of when that verse has been used to talk to me that has really just tried to make the, the degree of my suffering less significant. <laughs> you know, like, like I, if you've been in Christian circles long enough, you've heard that verse probably used, but the intention isn't really about encouraging you. It's about like, hey, your suffering isn't that bad. Count it all joy, you know, like live, laugh, love, like the same, like, <laughs> like the same measure of weight, I guess, between those kinds of things. Um, and I... I'm not saying that that, uh, I think it's easy then when we know that is to, to maybe not take what he said as, as serious because we've, we've had those verses mis, misused. And the reality is that James writes to people who are going through the craziest time of their life, dealing with this turbulence, being ripped out of their homes and shipped off to somewhere. And he begins his letter by saying, God's wisdom is that we need this turbulence. That's where he starts. 
God's wisdom is that we need this turbulence. He says, count it all joy. He doesn't say, it's, it, this is an important distinction. He doesn't say your turbulence is joy. Like it's not, it's suffering. It's really, it is difficult. He says, the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Steadfastness is an interesting word. We don't use it very much. But it comes from a Greek word that's like, like sustaining while you're like holding something up like under pressure holding in there, so to speak. And it's, I think it's kind of encouraging too, where he's like, if you're in this situation and he's like, trust what God is doing, like, like believe what he's saying, what he's doing and like hang in there, like, like hold that burden and, and, and keep holding it. And, it. and holding that burden and keeping it, holding it isn't the end goal. Like, like just hang on. You just need to hang on. He says that the steadfastness, let the steadfastness, and it's, uh, it's kind of, in our Bibles, it's sort of a, a soft written thing, but he's, it's, like a, it's a command. He's, it's like a, a, he's saying, no, you have to. I'm commanding you as you're hanging in there to let that situation, let that, let that whole steadfastness have its full effect. Like it's working something. It's doing something in you. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Holding on and trusting in God in the turbulence has the effect of changing and transforming you. He's like, it has to. You have to hold on so that God can use that determination, use that that steadfastness to, to change who you are and to shape you and mold you and make you more into the image of God. It's like, this is God's wisdom. It's not an accident that this situation happened. You have to believe that. God's wisdom is that we need the turbulence because it's while we hang in there, while we believe what God is saying, while we we remain steadfast, it's during that time that God is shaping and molding and changing us. He goes on, doesn't just say like, doesn't leave, he doesn't like leave us in the suffering, in the, in the chaos and say, okay, you know, just hold on. I'm sure you'll be good. You know, he, he, he knows that they're in a situation where what the right step forward is very difficult. Like, how do we handle this? What, what do we do? He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it'll be given to him. Go, go to God, ask for help, but let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in his ways. With no doubting. No doubting what? (laughs) And I think you can answer that in a couple of different ways. But it makes sense to me after he starts this letter with this very difficult truth. Like consider it joy. You need the turbulence. This is the Lord at work to change and mold and shape you in in a wonderful way. So when you go and ask him for help, it makes sense that we wouldn't doubt that reality. <laughs> like the difficulty being good for us is def- it feels like the first thing we could doubt. Because when we go to him in prayer and we ask for wisdom, is our priority, is our main focus, is our main intention when we're just dealing with all of this turbulence? 
to let steadfastness transform me and change me and make me more like Jesus? Or is the wisdom we're asking for to get rid of the problem? Like, where's the emphasis? It's totally fine to ask the Lord for things to be different. Like, that's okay. James is writing to a people that ain't coming back. (laughs) They got shipped off. He'll probably never see them again. And he's like, don't doubt that the Lord is at work in this for a second. And you do need wisdom. You do need to be transformed. You do need to understand what's going on so that you could cling to him and and let the steadfastness have its work in you and change you and shape you and make you like the Lord has designed you. You definitely need all that. But when you ask him for wisdom, don't doubt for a second that he is using these circumstances, that you actually need these circumstances to be the very things that shape and form you. when we are dealing with a difficult thing. We're usually not going to the Lord because we like have a way to fix it, you know? Like, we'll just do that. We'll just deal with it. (laughs) That's okay. We're going to the Lord with something that's really painful and hard. And we're asking for wisdom. How many of you think that the problem that we're going to the Lord with is like the main thing. The thing we want him to fix. And James is saying, go to the Lord and ask for wisdom. But when you go to him and ask for wisdom, don't doubt for a second that you need turbulence in your life to transform you and change you and draw you nearer to him. Like cling to that truth. Hang on to that. Because guess what? If you don't believe that, you're like a wave that gets tossed around and there's like no stability there. You won't have anywhere to land. (laughs) Interesting, awkward transition from James is he goes on to talk about poor and rich people right after that. I think he's making a point here about God's kingdom. Verse nine says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away for the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass and the flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also... Like, you know, the rich, will, the rich man will fade away in the midst of his pursuits. My, um, I think it was my, I think it was my dad. I was driving with someone not from Denver and they were just seeing like all the dead trees everywhere. And they were like, like those come back in the summer? You know, like, like, is this just how Denver is all the time, dead? And I'm like, no, 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 it's, yeah. Every winter, it looks like nothing vegetation-wise lives out here. And, and then every spring and summer, the green comes back. James is just, I think what James is doing here is he's trying to remind the people who are going through this turbulence that God's kingdom is where we should boast. Like God's kingdom is where we should anchor ourselves. God's kingdom is the thing that's forever. God's kingdom is the thing that, that should occupy our minds and our consideration. And, and I, he brings up the, the humiliation and exaltation. Humil- let the lowly, and he, he says brother, it's just, this is affectionate family member, you're part of the community way of talking. He says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Uh, some people think that the letter of James has more 
um, references to the teachings of Jesus than in, like like word word usage basically than any other letter in the New Testament. Like he was, he says sayings and phrases that map to what came out of Jesus's mouth in the in the in the Gospels. And there's some, there's definitely like some debate around like what does he mean by humiliation and exaltation, etc. But I think what James is trying to communicate is all Christians united to Jesus have a sense in which we are sharing in His humiliation. And also sharing in his exaltation. Like it doesn't matter what is going on with you financially. It doesn't matter how you've been uprooted or, or you've been stable. There's a, there's a real sense when we're united to Christ. Every believer in some sense shares in the humiliation of Christ. And also shares in the exaltation of Christ. So when he says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. What is the thing that you're like excited about? I think I just, I Googled like the boasting definition. It's like talking a bunch about something, you know, is a short of it. Like the thing that's on your mind that you're like, if you run into this person, you're like, I know they'll probably talk about this, you know, <laughs> whether you enjoy it or you don't. <laughs> well, the thing that you boast about, and he's like, for the lowly brother, for, for those of us who in this life are are suffering and deprived and are, don't have the things that maybe other people we know have, he's saying you should be the most excited about the rule and reign and exaltation of Jesus because no matter what government is uprooting you out of Jerusalem and, and bringing you over here, later he's gonna talk about rich people who are just like taking advantage of them. No matter, well, no matter what the powers of the day are and how the status that they have, you get to rule and reign at the right hand of the Father. Like you get to participate in a kingdom that cannot be shaken. You, are, you get to be anchored in something that unlike the grass that will be dead when the, when, you know, later this year because it just comes and goes, will last for forever. When you, when you don't have the things of this world, you should just be so focused on the eternal exaltation and glory that you get to share with, with Jesus Christ. He's encouraging them with that. And then for the rich, in his humiliation. What does that mean? You know, there's always the like, it can make a very easy statement. We're a lot richer than most people. You know, you can say the broad you know, there's all, every context sort of makes that statement more or less true, right? Like, we have a lot of stuff. So what does it mean for us then to boast, to be chatty about, to focus on, to consider when God has given us so many things in this world that we can be thankful for, we should be thankful for, what does it mean then to boast in our humiliation, How do we boast in our humiliation? I think the first step is to understand what does it mean to share in the humiliation of Jesus? So if Christians are united, rich or poor, are united to Christ and we share in his humiliation, what is the humiliation of Jesus? And how can we share in that? What is the humiliation of Jesus and how can we share in that? Philippians is probably the most explicit passage on this in chapter two. I should have it up on the screen in verse, I should wanna write Philippians two, chapter three, uh, verse three and following. Paul is describing the humiliation of Jesus. And I think if even just think about all the things he went through in Luke. And listen to what Paul has to say. Talking to believers, he says, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility, 
In, in your humiliation, count others more significant than yourself. James is saying, are you a believer and has God blessed you with a lot in this world? Be excited that other people are more valuable about than you. <laughs> like, don't think too highly of yourself. And think about the God of the universe stepped in and just did all these amazing things in Luke, healing, casting out demons. Even the patience that was brought up, why does those people deserve patience from him? He's, the, he's not communicating unclearly. He's the best teacher in the world. And yet, Jesus, humiliating himself, graciously counted his disciples as more important than himself and repeated and repeated and repeated because he cared about them. That's the humiliation we should be excited to share in. Verse four, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also the interest of others. How can we care more and share more in the humiliation of Jesus by caring more for others? God has provided so much for us. Where can we provide for others? He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. He's just saying like you, you share in his humiliation, all of you do, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being bound in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. two things I kind of want to point out there. He took on the form of a servant, a slave, to care for others. Not because he was getting something out of it. Not because he was respected. Because he wanted to sacrificially love other people around him. It's humiliating. But he put himself into that situation. And... He became obedient to the point of death. He was so willing to do what his heavenly father had said that even if obeying the father led to a worse situation, for him, submitting to and honoring the Lord was more important. So I think what James is saying is if, if God has given us a lot First of all, it's his kingdom that's going to last for forever. The allot that you have will be gone. So if that's the case, then as a believer who has been given a lot, our boast, our focus, the thing we talk about is the opportunities that God gives us to share in the sufferings of Jesus, to sacrifice ourselves for other people, to, to, to obey God, even when that means there's a, a more difficult circumstances that that would put us in. Like that should be our focus because he's given us so much in this life. He's saying, how can you then boast in your humiliation and focus on the eternal things? You're gonna share in his exaltation. <laughs> of course you are. But how can we focus on those things where we sacrifice and give ourselves for others? If we want a place to land, if we want stability, if we want steadfastness to have its work in us, God's kingdom, rich or poor, has to be our boast. It's the thing that lasts for forever. <laughs> like if you're excited about something less than that, you're asking for turbulence. I think it's part of why he, I think part of why he goes that route almost immediately after kind of addressing this idea of there's wisdom in the struggles is when we have 
a lot of stuff, it's easy to think less often of the kingdom of God. When we have wealth and comfort and joy in this world, we get distracted. (laughs) We just get distracted. We start thinking about those things, whether we're hoarding them or using them wisely or whatever, like, but our focus just becomes like this world, like the things going on in this world because we have a lot of things in this world so we have to focus on those things. And you think, you, you need, you're in a bad situation. I'm writing you this letter and I'm encouraging you that even if you've landed in a place where you are, have a measure of wealth or you're a part of the community and you have a lot of stuff, don't count on that thing to be the thing that stabilizes you. You should be boasting in your humiliation and your participation with Christ because that's the thing that just lasts for forever. That's the real place you can actually land. So we talked about God's wisdom, this idea that his wisdom is that we need turbulence. We talked a little bit about his kingdom, the, the, the invisible realities of his kingdom should be our boast, whether we're rich or poor. And I think he ends this section right here focusing on God's character and reminding us that God's character is always good. Amen. Always good. Look at verse 12. It said, blessed is the man who remains steadfast. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, who... who Let steadfastness do its work in them. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. The crown of life. He's using this like flowery language to be like, the the crown is like glory, majesty, value, importance. Like like the the picture of the crown is, is, I mean, just think about the crown that was ripping them out of their houses and shipping them off somewhere else. Like, there's, there's like the, the idea of the ruler determining all these things. He's like, if you stay steadfast, God's character is always good and he has good promises for you. He's promising you from this good God, he's promising with you that there is a reward for this. There's something you can look forward to. Amen. So that God's character is always good. He has good promises. He has good intentions. And that's easy. I think that's so easy when, when things have been bad for a while or you're dealing with like chaos, how easy it is to think about the power of God and then impute on his character. Like, God, why is it this way? Do you not love me that much? Are you, am I just missing something here? Are you not that patient with me? Are you not very kind? Don't you know that the situation makes it worse for me? Like when, when we're in this, like, like when we're in the turbulence, when we're in the chaos and we're struggling to make sense of everything, it's really easy to think that God has some not good intentions. Anything less than good. And that's what he addresses it's like, let no one say when he is tempted. When you're, when you're being tested, when you're dealing with this stuff, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. It's like the Lord isn't the one enticing you to ignore him. The Lord isn't the one that's like brought these situations so that you would sin and fall into some trap. Like his intentions for you are only good. He says it's each person is tempted when he's allured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. It's kind of direct. But I think it's important. When James does this a bunch, and I... It makes sense to me that like he loves these people. There's all of these things going on. He's like, look, I just have to shoot it to you straight. I ain't got time to like, like play this all out. 
And he basically says, when you're dealing with this suffering and you don't have peace and you don't have joy, it's your fault. Like it's your sin. Don't project onto God these motives and intentions that are creaturely. He has good promises. He has good intentions always, like 100% of the time. Which is why I think he goes on to say, don't be deceived. Like, let me give you, let me prove this to you. Don't be deceived, my brothers. Let every, or skip the section. Don't be deceived, my brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Everything that is good in the world is, comes from the good God that we worship. Amen. Everything. God's, God's character is always good. He has good promises. He has good intentions. He has good gifts. And then he says, all these things come from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Father of lights is like, of all the lights in the sky, the brightest one, they think that maybe James is making like the sun, like the, the, the beaming glory of the sun, except not the sun because that changes. Like if you could imagine the glory and majesty and goodness of the sun shining at full brightness and no change, no shadow, no nothing, just being overwhelmed with the glory and grace and goodness of God. His character is always that way. 100% of the time. Bridget said something on our drive here that I thought was encouraging. You know, we're always, like, this whole thing started out with let steadfastness have its work in you so that you would become perfect and complete, so that you, God's work would, would happen inside of you. God doesn't get better. <laughs> like, he can't get better. He can't have more love for you. He can't give you more better gifts. That's a terrible grammatical way to say that. He, he, there's nothing he can do to improve upon himself. He wouldn't be God. He's always approaching you with the most goodness because that's who he is. I know if I were to be ripped out of my home and taken from my family, it would be easy to be deceived. Like, is that really true? I think James is trying really hard to just say, guys, you have to remember the God that we worship. Do you want a place to land in the chaos? If your focus and intentions and in anything is, is veering outside of the person of God himself, you're not gonna find it. His wisdom says we need turbulence. Trust him. His kingdom is the only thing that will be forever. Maybe you establish yourself again, but we live in a time where governments are not very stable. You could get rooted out again. You could get riches and they could fade. Like you need to root your landing in the kingdom of God, in the suffering and glory of Jesus Christ. And, and while you're doing all that, don't forget for a second that the God you worship is as good as it gets and then some. He couldn't change. It's, he's always that way. That's who he is. That's why we worship him. That's why we have our stability. That's why there's actually a place to land because we have a creator God who is only goodness. And all the gifts you have, all the promises you have, all of those things are coming from him so that you would draw near to him and have somewhere to land. I think that whether we feel like we're in that season where there's a lot of turbulence 
cling to these things. Like this is James via the Holy Spirit trying to encourage you. If, if, if things are stable and we're just, you know, cruising at cruising altitude and it's no big deal, that's, that's great. We wouldn't wish difficulty upon anyone, but we live in a broken world. How do we prepare? How do we get obsessed with the character of God? How do we, if we're rich, orient ourselves around our humiliation in Christ? How do we land somewhere so that when Jesus says, when the storm comes, we're not washed away? I think James is gonna help us with that as we work through this letter. So I just encourage you to take that approach and say, where do I need to listen to the Lord now? Where do I, how do I need to prepare? Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for, and just the, the crazy things you work in history so that 2,000 years later we could be reading this letter and be encouraged and exhorted by your character. Lord, the, the circumstances surrounding the, the writing of this letter, I'm sure the people could have no idea that God would use the encouragement that they needed to transform and change lives of Christians around the world for thousands of years. Lord, you're so much more wise, so much more glorious, so much more beautiful than anything we could ever imagine. And we're so easily deceived and we quickly think less of you. We quickly feel like we have answers that are not from you, but are from ourselves. Lord, I pray pray that you would just help us. You would convict us. You would stir our hearts so that our focus, our attention would be on on the eternal reality of your kingdom, would be on, on your unchanging character. Help us, Lord, love you better so that we wouldn't only just have a place to land, we would, we would be a light for others who need a place to land. So I thank you for this time. In your name I pray, amen.